Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. And today we have a special guest. Well, what am I talking about? All my guests are special. But Jacob is someone that has recently come into my life due to this podcast. Actually, he reached out to me via Instagram and now we're just BFFs. And it's so cool to meet someone who comes from such different intersections of life and you see so many correlations. That's why I'm so excited to share this episode with you. It means a whole lot to me and I hope you guys find as much joy from this episode that I did. Now, before we fully dive into this, I want to thank you guys so much. We have grown in the sticker club. We are up to 30 members just in September when we started this thing, we were only at four. And I cannot tell you how excited I am to share these love letters and mail you guys this stuff. It is awesome. I've been seeing what you guys have been posting on Instagram. It just, it warms my heart. And I don't know about you, but I like getting surprises in the mail. I like getting things that are just like some random gift. And it's not random because it's coming from me because you are supporting this podcast and you are making this possible. So if you guys haven't already done this, Go to mariostanley.com, sendsandsuffers.com, click on podcast and join the family. Let me write you some love letters. Let me bring you into the fold. And most importantly, you are supporting the podcast and the team that is bringing you this from our copywriters to our editors that are putting in the effort and the time to bring this to you. So please join the sticker club. It's $5 a month and your support and contributions go a long way. All right. I'm done with this. I digress. Let's get into the show. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jacob and I, and it brings you as much joy as it does me. Jacob, welcome to the show. Yeah. Uh, as always, I like to, I like to uh, have you kind of just introduce yourself. So if you can tell people who you are, where you're from, and uh, what is your connection to the outdoors? Oh man, this is a lot. Um, you're asking so much of me already, Mario. Um, I mean, do you okay, expect so, anything less? I don't, and I love it, and I love you for it. Um, okay, so my name is Jacob Bach, and I am based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the beautiful, the beautiful Midwest where people don't expect climbing to be, but there is plentiful of it. Um, I work as one of the coaches, one of the uh, youth climbing coaches at Adventure Rock here in Milwaukee. Um, shout out Adventure Rock climbing team. Uh, I'm also the like community organizer for Adventure Rock. Um, so I get to have the fun job of coming up with events of how to make our community uh, feel more together and uh put together uh, all sorts of fun things like uh, discussion panels and competitions and beer nights and all the good stuff. Um, I'm a volunteer boy scout leader. Um, and what else is there? I am, uh, I am the queer climbing collective representative for kind of the entire Midwest right now, but specifically for uh, the state of Wisconsin. That's the big region that you're holding down there you know you would think but it's also the midwest so there's like i i think that, people yeah <laughs> i you know what I, i'm gonna continue to tell people there's only five people in milwaukee because we have such like a nice little hidden secret of a of a city that has a ton of people in it um 
that yeah there's only five of us and uh and four of us are gay so that one straight person is really out of the loop here i mean i it, let's just be honest you're making them a little bit more cultural you're helping them out and at least in keep increasing their iq and their coolness and their overall points because let's just say like without i mean listen i think this is how it goes you're you're black you're fabulous you're queer you're fabulous you're straight and just granola you're great and i love you and i think you're fam and you're amazing but you're not that that is so i have so much nicer than me i'm like you're straight you're a bully and i'm getting back at you after all these years oh my god i don't know i i don't you know i can only imagine the damage that you can do because i always forget people tell me this all the time as a climber my buddy's like you don't physically know how strong you are i'm like i'm not that strong because i'm always comparing myself to like you know jimmy webb daniel webb people pulling on crazy (laughs) stuff right and i'm like and my friend is like you literally bear hugged my refrigerator and moved it. And I'm like, well, doesn't everybody do that? Right. And he's like, he's like, it has food in it. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess this is a thing. I mean, I don't know. That is a really so, weird but, thing. Uh, my 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 work partner and my uh, one of my climbing partners, her name is Mary Cregan. Well, I'm sure we will get to all about her later. But um, we, we did this day at Devil's Lake, which is our local crag, where we were like, okay, we're going to do all of the five star like four and five star boulders grade v0 to v4 in a day we're just gonna like go throughout the lake and we got done with 20 of them and we were like we're good we can go home now uh but on on one of the first ones it's this it's this really cool climb called good morning veruca and it's just this giant overhanging like fin but at the lake we have nothing but like talus below us so it's kind of sketchy and uh I like really wasn't committing to the first move. And she looked at me and she went, Jacob, you can do pull-ups on five millimeter ledges. And I was like, oh, that's right. It just like flew up it after that. And I was like, you, I think especially like when you train, bringing that into something that you were doing, either like on the wall or for instance, moving a refrigerator or whatever it might be, is so hard to admit that you are strong enough to do something because it doesn't quite correlate right away in your head. Fair enough. Now, is that also this place that you're talking mm-hmm, about? Mm-hmm. Is this in the is it, this is for is this the YouTube video that you have called for? Uh, so that is not the place that you're that's talking? not my specific video, but I am in that video and I'm super proud of it. Uh, my friend Joel uh, put that together and the majority of the climbs in there are at Devil's Lake. Yeah. Um, anything that has that like purpley rock in it um, is Devil's Lake. We have this really unique type of uh, stone in our state called a uh, baraboo quartzite or purple quartzite people call it too and it's only found in wisconsin and it is this like bulletproof glassy um really sharp stone um that we have the benefit of climbing on i feel so fortunate to be able to train on that yeah dude i'm looking at it right now and it's almost like and you know it reminds me of wichita like pink quartzite mm-hmm. but it's not it, it's um, it looks almost like smoother it has a little bit of texture and if you guys are uh interested please go to jacob's instagram and click on the bio link and you'll see this video and i'm watching them pull this is like scenically beautiful uh it's really gorgeous place. we are like really fortunate it um the like climbing in wisconsin kind of reminds me of climbing in tennessee where it's a lot of like water is right next to the rock that you have so it's uh everything is like really pretty no matter where you're climbing 
Um, well, that's that's a broad statement, but I would say nine out of ten times it's going to be pretty. Um, there's always Choss, no matter where you are. Uh, but yeah, we we have like the weirdest little state for climbing, and I'm like super proud of it. And it's only kind of scratching the surface right now as we push further and further north and uh, west in the state. And um, yeah, I don't know that that video is if you guys got like 45 minutes to kill and you want to get psyched, check out Forward by uh, by Joel. It's just incredible. Dude, that's fucking awesome. So uh, we both are coaches, and anyone who is a rock climbing coach on my show, I generally like to just dive into this world. And uh, previous episode, I was talking to Devin, who used to be, uh, well, who was works for the Nike Rock Climbing Gym, uh, and he is a coach in full time. And so, you know, I want to kind of just because I'm here in the South, and everyone is a little too uptight, and they just need to learn how to hang loose, let mm-hmm. it out, but. Uh, you know, just kind of hitting the elephant in the room for me at least. And I know some people here and I can imagine the parents that are listening to this. Uh, have you ever had any resistance to being like, you know, openly queer and coaching your kids or anything like that? And I know I'm just kind of like just getting down and Not dirty. Let's, right let, now, let's get but. down and dirty, dude. That's my favorite. Um, the, okay. So I feel really, really fortunate. We have, so we have three locations of our gym, right? We have our mm-hmm. Milwaukee location, which is on the east side of Milwaukee. And that's like a, you know, a really university heavy area. Um, a really like kind of, um, like upper class liberal area is how to think about it. Um, and then we have our Walker's point gym, which is on the south side of Milwaukee, which is like right where I live. And that is like the neighborhood that is the Hispanic neighborhood. A little background about Milwaukee, too. We're the most segregated city in America. Um, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, like more like segregated, like on Sunday, but every, every day? day, man, every day. So, Damn. yeah, we have um, like every type of person has a neighborhood. Um And a lot of that comes from gentrification and there's history of our city where I think like in the fifties or sixties, they went through in Milwaukee and they gave different neighborhoods gradings on quality of life. And from there, they had this map of basically a blueprint for the future of where to gentrify and where to push people of color um, out of uh, systematically through raising rent and buying buildings and raising taxes in specific areas and gerrymandering. And that has carried over like all the way until today. Um, So we have these neighborhoods where it's like, this is the Hispanic neighborhood, but it's not just Hispanic. This is like the Mexican neighborhood and this is the Puerto Rican neighborhood. And this is the Colombian neighborhood. And then you get into like the neighborhood, which is kind of disappearing now um, just because of how, I would say like except like uh, being like LGBTQ is like way more accepted nowadays, quote unquote. Um, the idea of safe spaces have really gone by the wayside. So, you know, we used to have like, I would say, let's say like 15 years ago, we had 20 to 30 gay bars in Milwaukee. And now we're down to maybe five. And it's not because we don't have gay people and it's not because gay people don't go out. It's because the idea of safe spaces is kind of every space now, at least in um, that part of the city. Um, but we have Polish neighborhoods. We have Italian neighborhoods, um, Indian, Sri Lankan neighborhoods. We have Jewish neighborhoods. Um, and there's not just like just now, I would say there's like a little bit of mixing going on. But um, that's a little background about the city. 
I mean, that sounds so interesting to me because I would imagine with the acceptance of, you know, the more acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community that it would actually, your safe space would grow, not your space would diminish, but it's almost like, have you ever seen this movie called Hell or High Water? Uh, no, I have not. I'm bad with movies, man. Oh my, oh my God, I got this. Okay, this is like tech, classic Texas wannabe bad boy. Okay, movie. yeah. But they say, but it, so the premise of the movie is these two brothers are robbing a bank, but they're robbing the bank bank that their family has the mortgage on, like the mortgage the family is at, and they're robbing that bank and then they're washing the money in a casino and then they're giving the money back to the bank to pay off the loans and pay everything back because they discovered oil on the property. And this, the whole premise is just figuring this out. And anybody else who's listening to this, I know I just spoiled the movie, but the movie's fucking amazing. So go back and watch it anyway. Um, Cause yeah, the shit is real. Uh, But in the movie, there's these two Rangers and one is native American and one is, you know, the classic cowboy and the dichotomy between their relationship is actually almost like, it's like poetic justice with a text with a, with a dash of Texas cringe in the whole thing. And it's like, it really makes you like your upper lip go up every couple every moment. But they say a statement, the native American guy says a statement in there and he's like, you know, consists of the cowboy. He's like, I feel sorry for you. And he looks to him and he's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Cowboys are supposed to be, feel sorry uh-huh. for the Indians. And the right. very next line he talks about, he talks about, well, you know, one day your ancestors were the Indians and someone came in and then now you just adapted and you became them. They made you them. And now you're here taking up from us and trying to make us you. And that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So why does I bring up that statement? It seems to me that that is kind of happening from what you just briefly described that like the gay community is going away. So the safe spaces are going away, but are you guys just quote unquote being like whitewashed and blended in? I mean, I know you're white and fabulous, but can you be straight whitewashed? <laughs> there, there is I mean, like, I don't um, know the thing. well, like, you, you know, how there's like a white savior complex. I would say that there is for sure straight mm-hmm. savior complex. Um, we're like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's been around. For oh, yeah. I mean, it's just the idea of like allyship, right? You know, when somebody's like almost too mm-hmm. much of an ally, you know what I mean? Yep, is, yep, yep, I yep. think that's what's happening. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. I was, yeah, I just, that was like really puzzling to me when, right when you said that. And I, I was, yeah. And if anybody else out there has this happening in your community or you know of this, I would be very curious to talk to you and kind of like understand the dynamics of this whole thing. Cause that just kind of blows my mind, honestly. I just, I, in Dallas, it's quite the opposite. Like, the more acceptance of the gay community here, Cedar Springs mm-hmm. and the neighborhood has like exploded and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't really know the full nature of the community. I'm not as yeah. well plugged in, but from the outside looking in, it looks like what is quote unquote was the gay neighborhood is just growing block by block every few, three to four years. And I think it's freaking awesome. I think it's great. I think, you know, eventually it should just encompass and it should all be kind of a melting pot and that's what we want. But from what I heard from what you were saying to me, it doesn't seem like it's actually turning into a melting pot. It seems like they're just trying to like tuck it underneath. I don't even rug, think it's so tucking underneath a rug. I just think with- that like Milwaukee, we don't really know how to blend well. It's like we want to blend, but we it's more like a chili, not so much a not so much a, a soup. You know what I mean? 
Okay. Okay. Well, uh, just a random thought experiment. And like, if you could blend it, I mean, is there a way in your mind that you think that would happen? Um, I don't know, honestly. I think it's because I've lived here so long now that I don't even know what that would look like for us. And I think a lot of times, you know, we also have... Man, Mario, you and I, this podcast is going to be four hours long. Um, yeah, um, no, I've already planned for this. <laughs> this is this is going to, you and I are going to just go ahead and break the rules. I try to keep everything around 50, 50 to 60 minutes, but the moment you got on the phone, I was just like, we're like 20 there. minutes in, still talking. We're not even talking about climbing yet. Um, oh, I, that's think, whatever. Um, I think that, um, okay, so we have all these ethnic neighborhoods. We have all these like sociological neighborhoods in Milwaukee, but we also have Summerfest, which is the world's largest music festival. It happens like for like two weeks every summer and it's insane. So we have these permanent like festival grounds that exist on the lakefront, right? At those grounds, when it's not Summerfest, we have ethnic festivals there. So it kicks off every June with Pride Fest, which we also have like one of the world's largest Pride Fests here. Um, and then we have like Indian Summer. We have Chinese Moon. We I think we used to have African-American Fest, but I'm not sure if we have that anymore because some of them have like uh, kind of disappeared over time. There's Italian. There's Irish Fest. There's all these different festivals that happen there that celebrate different ethnicities in our city in a really big way. So it's almost like the segregation does two things in our city. It segregates people. So I think that the understanding and the empathy lack, but it also allows people to hold on to tradition and, um, really kind of shine a spotlight on what makes people them, based on the culture that they come from. So that is like the positive end of having a really segregated city is that you do get exposed to a lot of different cultures because people are able to hold on to it a little bit more. I'm not going to lie. Right. When you said like the black people fast is going away, I'm like, so that's where they came up with the idea that you need to get out. They did. They did think that was exactly it. I'd like totally went in my mind. I was like, this makes so much sense now. Like, this is why we're running out of the Midwest. Like, okay. So, dude, that, you know, that's kind of weird to me. I mean, you know, I like the concept of it. Like, uh, the music festival part is cool. I always thought like Lollapalooza and, um, obviously South by Southwest and I don't even consider Coachella, Coachella a thing. I know Coachella is a thing, but it's like, it's just right, it's right. a shit show. I mean, I've never been, I've never been, and I'm going to go ahead and say that now, but I know plenty of people who have gone and the amount of money that say, they pay and the amount you and of I like, are too poor to go to Coachella, that they deal man. with. <laughs> yeah, no, fuck that dude. We'll, we'll have right. Coachella. Before we watch it from the porch. And so, oh my God. But yeah, I think that's really cool. But I also like, I honestly don't know how I feel about that. Like, I think it's a cool idea and I wouldn't want it to stop. And I think it's one of those things like I would have to just go and experience it because yeah, I, I just don't really know. It's like, it's just such an interesting idea that they have these like whole things. It's like, you, instead of like just celebrating Black History Month or Native American Month or anything, y'all are like, we're just going to do this in a short little time frame. Instead of uh, instead of like giving y'all a whole month, we're just gonna give you a weekend. His budget, <laughs> right? Fucking haywire and have it is pretty have wild. We, we also have like the Black Holocaust Museum in Milwaukee. Um, 
women was there a black holocaust there, in well there uh i don't i i on you want me to be transparent with you i've never been i don't know what it's for I mean, um so we, we do oh dude we got up. so many field trips when you come up um but oh, uh yeah there is like a there's a large black population here that is like extremely celebratory of um the culture of being black and 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 of being of color but you know the man keeps you down that's that's as simple as it gets during the during the blm protests you know i'd be on the north side of milwaukee which is um what some people would consider the inner city um you don't go over there because that's the inner city and it's like okay well my friends live over there so i have to go over there but we'd be marching and i'd be on the uh porch with my friends afterwards and they were like you know that like you are probably the only white person entire neighborhood right now right and it's um that's a lot of times when black people come to the south side of milwaukee which is a way more white polish italian area a lot of times it's like they're the only black person in the entire neighborhood. Um, so we have a we have a pretty weird city, but I think it's getting better. It feels like it's getting better, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, let's go back to our gyms really quick. I was going we were talking about coaching, which I love talking about, man. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, yeah, no, we just well, got a little tantrum. Yeah, let's I think it this up. fits in well. So we have Milwaukee, which is like university heavy, super liberal because it's all college students and kind of like upper middle class liberals. And we have Walker's Point, which is like the historically gay neighborhood. You're starting to border on the south side, which is like very working class. But then we have Brookfield, which is about 20 miles west of Milwaukee which is located in Waukesha County, which is like one of the most conservative counties in the country. Um, and when I first became a coach, which is like three or four years ago now, um, our head coach, Mary, I have had this cleared with her. I talked about this with her last night, but you know, Mary is also queer and has a longtime partner. And her and I, when I first joined, had this very like deep discussion about what it means to be out in the workplace because you would expect people that are in the most conservative county in our state to have really visceral reactions if they were to find that out so mary who had been coaching for a long time wasn't out at the time but you know i don't i can't hide this is what i say all the time i can't hide how faggy i am um it's something that I wear on my sleeve. Like, girl, I just bleached my hair blonde yesterday. Like, it's it's hard to it's hard to hide it. Um, right, exactly. But self. it's this thing of like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be a strong climber. I'm going to work well with kids and I'm going to talk to everybody with I'm going to speak to, to everybody with respect. Um, and if. I think that if you like approach people with those three things, they will meet you with those three things because in my time coaching, um, I have not had one family have an issue with uh, me being queer. I am like really close with a lot of my kids and their families and specifically ones that are from that like super conservative area, people that are way wealthier than me that are way more conservative than me. A lot of times, like those families uh, don't just like me, but they embrace me working with their kids a lot. Um, so I personally and Mary also, we've just been really fortunate um, t 
to have the community that we do at all three of our gyms uh not just not just like us but love us for who we are that's awesome i would uh you know it's it, i uh, i can empathize with you quite a bit on that because you know growing up i never really i don't know i'm used to being the token black guy everywhere i go and i'm just kind of like i've I, it's almost you know for a while with all this blm stuff in the beginning it was actually quite really nerve-wracking and really scary for me to kind of like Mm-hmm. embrace my blackness because I've been so token for so long. Like if I'm around my black friends and I mean, we're full, I mean, full Negro, full comes out, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. a dash. Cause you know, you got to keep that. You, you, when you're around certain people, you got a little, little dash in cause it's like, you know, trying to feed them spicy food. They just cannot handle that shit. So, um, but, uh, with that being said, you know, I've always done that. And with all this stuff happening, I, in the beginning, I was like, Ugh. I was like, this is like, this is my private thing. Like, this is like, you know, when I go home, I want to mm-hmm. drink a glass of whiskey. I want to curl up with a book and I just want to kind of be left alone. I'm very extroverted when I'm out. I'm very like loud and boisterous when I'm out. But when I come home, if you hang out with me when I'm home, people think I'm freaking boring because sure. I don't really want to do anything. I just, I just want to be left alone. And with that being said, um, right when all this stuff happened, I, was really compelled to start like allowing my kids to talk about, you know, about race, about this, about that. And I was kind of floored with the sheer amount of diversity within our own youth programs. Like there are so many families that are white passing. Like there are a couple families that are Hispanic and I mean, and I mean like real Hispanic, like they showed me the pictures of their the parents show me the pictures of their parents. And I'm like, how did you come out? You were a milk baby. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it blows my mind. And they, but, but then super receptive. And, you know, some have asked, you know, to temper it. And, you know, everyone has their, everyone is entitled to their opinion, entitled to their thoughts and their feelings. This is why it's America. It's a great place, except for, you know, the day that lives in infamy, June 6th. We will talk about January 6th. 6th. That is some shit, but we will get there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but for straight up. Uh, but it was just, it was, it's, it's interesting here you say that because I, re- I relate with you so much and I empathize with you so much because like when I finally started talking about this and the kids started asking me questions as like, you know, how do you feel? What does it make? What do you think of when you come to work? And one of the kids said the most like sweetest thing in the world to me at, at the next day at practice after we had um, our Black Lives Matter like little Zoom call meetup. And he was basically like, Coach Mario, you know, I want to say something to you, but I don't, I want to make sure it doesn't sound offensive or anything like that. But like, I've never really looked at you as a black person. I've looked at you as my friend and my coach. And now that I see you, I don't know how to like feel about this because I don't know if I've been really respectful or I've actually ever seen you or appreciated you. He was like trying to really just fumble over his words and it like made me tear up. And I'm one of those coaches who are like, I I tell all my kids, I hate them. I tell them they're all turd. I tell them they're all, they're all smelly, terrible, horrible people. Yeah. Yeah. And my kids always like, they all say like the moment you actually start being nice to us, we get real scared because that means practice is going to be real rough or you're really, really, really up. You and I are two pieces in a pod, my man. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was just one of those things. And, I looked at him and I was like, just get out of here. Get out. He's like, are you mad at me? I was like, no, you're making me beat. You're tricking me. Right, being right, nice. right. Go do up downs. Go. Do, I was like, go do a four <laughs> by four. Just get out of here. So Mario, let me ask you, do you, do you have black kids on your team? 
No, I wish I did. Um, I think it's a, I think it's sure. an exposure thing here in Dallas. Like none of our gyms are really built around communities or in communities where black and black or affluent communities live. Because if you're familiar with the makeup of DFW, um, you know, and I can get into this a little bit and please anyone in DFW listening to this, please, if my history is a little wrong, correct me, but I've, this is just what I've picked up over the last, you know, almost 18, 20 years living in this city. Um, Dallas as a whole was really built and all the help was bust in from Cedar Hill, which is known as the Hill or the Black Hill. And the public transit system wasn't even really created until they needed more day laborers and help. And that's where Turtle Creek was like the original Highland Park, the rich part. And then it just kind of spreads out. And then you have Highland Park, which is its own little cosmos of a thing, which, you know, I mean, they're cool people in there and they're not cool people in there, but we won't get into that. Uh, and so with that being said, all of our gyms are not really centrally located in places that have accessibility to that. And this is an issue that I've been wanting to tackle for a while. And it's kind of a bigger issue. And if anybody's listening to this, I have an idea. I think it involves DART public transportation. So if anybody has an in or connections or friends, I would definitely really, really, really like to be put in the room. I don't want to call anybody. Right. I don't want to be on an email. Everyone knows you got to know someone yeah. to know someone to make shit happen. So. And so with that being said, um, I, I, we don't, we don't have a lot, but I do have some amazing Arab kids. I do have some amazing Asian kids. I do have amazing kids of color and they bring the world. They are the world to me as all my kids are. I do love all my kids equally. I do. And I know as a coach, I know that seems like really weird to say, but like I do adore oh, every one of my kids. They all have nicknames that I've given them. <laughs> But, I had, uh, I, I had more. a I coach yesterday or one of our assistant coaches tell me, she was like, if I ever have an issue with one of your kids, I know to go to you and not your kid because you get very mama bear about it. I'm like, yeah, I will take care of anything that happens. You just need to oh, tell yeah. me about it. <laughs> like, I don't, my kids are literally oh, the yeah. world to me. Um, because there's, yeah, th there's yeah. nothing, I, you know, I, it, it, we, we always joke that like August through, what is it like July or June, whenever nationals is it's like you are a coach and then you get to be an adult for like a month and a half to two months. And then you go back to being a coach. Like if you don't have the care and the love yeah. for your kids that they are going to meet you with, you're in the wrong field. You know, this is my career for a reason. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with there, you. There's that really great episode else. of the nugget that just came out with Alex Johnson too, of just like, you know, she says, you know, be, be the person who you wanted when you were younger. And I think that is something that like every single day I have to think about because, you know, we have a, we have a lot of kids in our program. Last year we had close to like 200. Now it's in half because of this wonderful coat, this wonderful COVID situation. Um, but uh, every one of those kids deserves the best you and they are making you a better person because they're holding you accountable to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally um, do. So do. the reason I asked you if you have black kids on your team is because like we start, we just now started to have like out queer kids on our team. And, and it feels Ooh. like we are finally creating, I don't know, like a space. I don't even want to say a safe space, but just like a space for some kids to exist yeah. Or some kids to like ask questions to somebody who is older than them. Um, because that is like, you know, you can't hide blackness, 
but you can for sure hide queerness. And that is something where like we as queer people have a little bit of an upper hand because when a situation is not safe for us, we we can code switch very easily. And that's the only thing we need to do, you know, uh, on the other hand, though, like black people aren't chameleons. They can't change their skin color to feel safer around a specific group of people. But at Adventure Rock, like all three of our locations, we have somehow managed to just have this like community where you walk in and you feel just like you are supposed to be there. It's the reason I fell in love with climbing. The first day that I went, I walked in and I was just like, oh, I get it. This is like this is where I'm supposed to be. Like I am supposed to be in this space right now. And that's back when we only had our Brookfield location all the way out in Waukesha, you know? So for me as like a as a younger queer person back then, to still feel safe then at, there at that time, that says a lot for where we are at now. Um and I think that that is what climbing does for people. It provides this space where, like, at the end of the day, we all just want to play on the jungle gym in a really cool way, right? And there are yeah. going to be some people, and I've been to those places outside of, you know, our like our community here, where I feel very out of place. Um, but that is why people in those areas who do want that to change like it is up to those people to make everyone feel like they are supposed to play in the jungle gym with them. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are enjoying this awesome conversation. I am just filled with so much joy just reliving this. So I want to tell you about our sponsors that fill my heart with joy because they support this podcast and they want to help you get outdoors beyond clothing. Go to their website, check them out, use the promo code ALWAYSREADY, get some clothes that will help you travel this big, beautiful globe that we live in. And Tension Climbing too, newest sponsors, they have now supported us and they support our Sticker Club of the Month along with Beyond. So if you guys aren't already a member of the Sticker Club, join for $5 and you have an opportunity to win some fresh gear, some training gear and get you out into the world. Let's get back into the show. I want to take a moment to kind of follow up with what you're talking about. And I was reading something on, I'm, I think it's Muja Gear. Okay. Yeah. I was reading something about you and you kind of stated that. And I think it goes, uh, you know, once you were introduced to the climbing community, you quickly realized that there were toxic people in your life. And it was, uh, it, it was a really good article. I read most of it. I didn't read the whole thing. I was definitely skimming through it All because right. I was definitely doing my last minute stalking of you yesterday. <laughs> oh God, which, there's too much. Don't, don't go too deep in that rabbit hole. <laughs> I do like to say, though, like you talk about dyeing your hair blonde, but I like this little two-tone blonde picture that you got going on in here with your guitar and your yeah, little yeah. Your, your little saddle thing on your throat. That'd be cute. That's just beautiful. <laughs> Sorry. I'm digging it. Thanks. I'm digging it. I'm digging it, boo-boo. Yeah. Well, man, you know, it's funny. Like, I think our, relations, our, our relationship with our jobs is very much the same. And it's like, I think about, you know, after COVID, and well, I think about during COVID and after COVID and it was almost hard for me to be that hard ass coach with my kids mm-hmm. because I missed them unequivocally so much. And it's like, they could even tell that like, I wanted to be nice to them because I missed them so, so 
so, so freaking much. And yeah, it, I don't know, man. I think once you get into coaching and if you're, like you said before, like you don't get into this job, like you, one, you don't get into coaching to be rich. <laughs> Two, you don't get into coaching because you want to feel great about yourself. That's the not a thing because these kids kick the shit out of you every day uh, and bring you down the size. But you, you know what, man, actually you know, this past summer, we just started. So we, we ended our program in March last year because of COVID and really abruptly, it was right before we had a local at our gym and then mm-hmm. we went into lockdown and then we, 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 we reopened at like the end of May, I want to say. So we started a summer program in June. Um, and basically it was like, really small sessions with only one coach at a time. So it was like me and four kids that are all around the same grade, uh, all around the same age in the gym. And Mm -hmm. I was so lucky. This is what the kids don't get is that like, I don't climb hard because, um, because I push myself to climb hard. I climb hard because like they, if I don't climb hard, they are going to climb harder than me. And I just can't let that happen. And now they all do climb harder than me. So I just get to have a wonderful coach as I, but I had these two kids, uh, Andrew and Ishan, both of them. I had like two to three times a week. And these two boys just turned into monsters over the summer, just like, Flashing every nine and 10 that gets put up in the bouldering area easily on sighting like every 12, maybe like one hanging every 13 that gets put up. They're just like absolutely incredible. Um, Ishan is on team ABC now. He just moved out to uh, Colorado for college, but of course he's smart. So he graduated early. So he has time in male junior. Um, So, you know, this past summer, all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, these kids have caused me to be such a hard climber. But then there's this other part of me that wants to be a hard climber because you know, when like, dude, you know, when like, uh, like bodybuilders come into the gym and they have that real like masculine sense about what they're doing. And they're like, yeah, chicken legs and, and chicken legs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I get really, um, I don't want to say threatened, but I know that they look at me in a specific way because I climb in a crop top. I have my dyed hair. I'm very loud when I'm in the gym. You know, I don't I don't hide how gay I am. And I have I have heard people shit talking me behind my back before. And my favorite thing to do is just like. Not confront them, but show them what I have. You know, I like climbing hard because it puts those people in their place. Um, The the space that we exist in is for everybody, is not just for those who are, quote unquote, athletes or, quote unquote, physically fit. Um, When I was growing up, I did not play sports because it didn't feel like it was the place that I was supposed to be in. that that doesn't mean I didn't like doing theater. That doesn't mean that I hated being, in, you know, singing and, you know, doing visual art. I still do all that stuff and I love it a ton. But I wanted to play sports desperately, really bad. But because there was no, like, out queer men in sports at that time, I felt like that wasn't the correct gay thing to do. Um... 
And so I held myself back until I was like, I don't know, I've been climbing for the last seven years now, you know, until seven years ago. Yeah. I hadn't played any sports. Um, And then when I found climbing, I don't know what it was about it, man, but it just clicked. And, you know, my gut tells me that it was the community. I fell in love with the movement of it. It was something that I took to really well. But, you know, I want to be out and I want to like show people that it's okay to be uh, queer and doing sports because it's a place for all of us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I I think you probably, did you ever try track and field? Uh, I did. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) I was a high jumper. Ah, I was a long jumper. I did long jump, triple jump, open eight and open four. Open eight was my favorite event. That event was rough. I quit after uh, like I, two, I, two meets because I felt so uncomfortable. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can imagine with like, just like being that young with the, with the uniforms and everything you wear and how it feels mm-hmm. and everything like that. And with this track and field, it's kind of a hard thing to be in. Like, like if it doesn't bother you, it's honestly, that's why I love climbing so much. It's like, it's one of the few sports where you just get to stay in your own lane. Right. And you kind of get to do your own thing. And I, track and field was very much that way. But I definitely agree with you. Climbing is what me, made me take being an athlete seriously. And kind of going back to the whole thing about our kids, like my kids make me want to climb hard. Like I, I've always wanted to like climb harder things, but I started, you know, in the beginning when I first started climbing, I was losing my temper. Like there was one day, I swear to God, I was so angry that I didn't do a route that I took my shoes off, threw it at the wall, my partner lowered me. I untied, threw my shoes off and walked out of the gym and drove away. And then I had to drive home like 45 minutes. I drove back 45 minutes later, the walk of shame, pull my rope down because they left it up there. Pull my <laughs> rope down, grab my bags. This is before I walked into the gym. I was like, total walk of shame. And I just like grabbed my stuff and I left. And I was like, oh, bye. I'm going to go climb at the other gym so you don't see me for a little bit. Right, right, right. And, um, but my kids have definitely tempered me a lot. And, you know, if it wasn't for them, I would not try as hard. And I'm not saying like, I think about them when I'm projecting on these routes or doing anything like that, but you know, and I don't even always talk to them about it. A few of the kids, like we're homies, like we definitely like have the conversation where, you know, there's a couple of kids that are on the level and you can talk to mm-hmm. them. Um, but, uh, I, I, I'm so inspired by watching them. And I like, I, sometimes I'm watching them and I'm reading the, reading the route with them, going over data, watching them project on a route. And then in my back of my mind, I can see my, I can feel myself working through the sequence, working through the routes that I'm trying to do. And it just, they motivate me. And I think it's, it's the only way I know how to describe it is like when you, you know, for anyone listening to this, it's like when you finally get your squad and you're climbing with your crew, your squad, your homies, your whatever you want to call it. Um, but that motivates you and like coaching kids is that on steroids times yeah. 10 to the magnifold. It's like, you know, tenfold because you have your normal homies, but like your kids are just people just like inspire you and they push you. And especially now, because like they're all pieces of shit and turds anyway. <laughs> so like, you know, that's what I call all my kids. Yes. If you're listening to this, I, I said it. If your parents are listening to this, you know what I say about your kids all the time and you know that I love them. Um, but, um, you know, with everything that, especially now that they have going on and as awkward as they are and as unknowingly vulnerable and unknowingly open as they are, that level of communication has made me realize that like, 
I have no right and no real reason to get pissed off about rock climbing, to get pissed off that I can't send this route or that because these kids are going through the hands down the worst time of their life. And anyone listening to this knows, think back to high school and middle school. Okay. Now you want to delete this whole podcast. You don't want to turn it off because you just made you remember nightmares. Like it's the worst time of your life, you know, and they're showing up regardless, putting all of that aside and just like, I'm here and you know, I don't want to give out any of my kids' names, but you know who you are. You know, one of my kids, like they, I, they're such an academic, academic nerd, and they're adopted. And hey, same. I personally feel, I, I personally feel that they know that they're adopted. They know that their parents love them. They know that that everybody is on their team. But I think I personally feel like this girl feels like she needs to be best mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the time. And I'm always like, like, hey, hey, just like slow it down. Like, look at the little things. Look at the, like, it, it's all here. But like, she just rages on the wall and she just goes for it and goes so hard that she can't see the little details in front of her because the little details make the big picture. And it's so funny to me because I watch her climb. And last night I was like, same thing, warming up for my session, just getting that because every Thursday we have like a little POC meetup, nice. little POC, LBGTQ, Alexa, you know who you Work. are, baby. Um, and we meet up and last night we had practice. She's there. Same things happen. And I find myself thinking about her, like, right, as I'm kind of getting on these routes, kind of getting on to the point where I'm like, I'm fully warm because uh, I am a dinosaur. So I warm up for like 30 to 45 minutes almost <laughs> sure. an hour before I get on yeah. the rope. Yeah. Uh, and, but I found myself thinking about her. I'm like, I'm getting a little, a little tense. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get the section. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And like, it's not even that I'm thinking about them, but it's just like the visual image of their mm-hmm. face pops in my mind. And I remember the lesson, the contact, the, the, the lesson, the thing, the thing that I'm trying to get across to them, that pops in the back of my brain and it slows me down. And so I, I definitely agree with you. Like coaching makes you a better climber and it makes you a better, a better person, person and you also sure. realize it. Yeah. Well, you realize if you're an asshole real fast and if you're like coaching, because if you can't handle it, then you just realize that like, this is not for you. But if you suck it up and I honestly recommend everybody, whether you coach summer camp, whether you go away to work at a camp, like everyone in their life should do three things, public service for a while. And I'm not talking just work in a soup kitchen for a day, but like make a commitment to work in public service for like a year and build relationships, work with kids and, and for the same amount of time and then work with seniors. I was going to say work in the, for the same amount of time. That'll, it, that'll put you in your place. I think they're going to just hate human beings <laughs> in general. Cause I worked as a yep, bartender man. and a waiter for a long time and I stopped liking people real fast. I, uh, yeah, I have one kid. Uh, his name—I'm just gonna say his name. His, his name is Ryan, and he and I have a have a really interesting relationship because he took to me right away when I became a coach. Um, and we had some ups and downs. You know those kids, man. When you have just ups yeah, and downs, yeah. where it's like, I don't know. One day it's an argument. The next day it's like you are their superhero. And he and I have this like this like phrase that we do. Where it's always like he's a really strong rope climber, right? He the kid has really good endurance, um, and it's it, every day. It's like I'm going to climb five fourteen before you do. That's like what he goes back to all the time. It's like I'm going to get five fourteen before you do, and I'm like I'm going to get five fourteen before you do, and it's great because it's like, you know, I want him to get five fourteen before me, 
<laughs> I, I, I want that to happen for you. Yeah. But if somebody in the crew says that to you, somebody who is like your equal says that to you, it's almost like they're shit talking you. That's, that's the difference for people that don't coach. It's like when your friend looks at you and goes like, I'm going to get 514 before you do. That's like, ouch, man, we're not in a, we're not in a fucking competition with each other. But when your kid says it to you, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah we're going to do oh, that. This is on. Uh, it's great. You know, that's, that's the benefit of, of coaching is that you, you learn how to empathize, you learn how to listen and you get pushed as much as you push them. I agree wholeheartedly. I would agree wholeheartedly. Um, I want to kind of yeah, switch gears here a little we bit. We only talked about coaching for 50 yeah, minutes. How did that happen? Oh, dude. Oh, <laughs> shit. Anyone, that's not the thing. Like, okay, going back on coaching here, Devin and I, like, we literally started our podcast, but I forgot to hit record because we started talking about coaching and we're like an hour into our conversation talking about our oh, kids. Yeah. So, yeah. So, any kids listening to this podcast or any kid who is a, kid, a team kid or have a coach, know that that coach either will or will not, but it doesn't matter. You rock their world and you are very important to them. And so remember when they're talking to you, they mean every single word. By the way, Mario, don't you think there should be a real rock documentary about team kids? Oh my God, we're doing this. That's it. That's it. We're doing it right now. Anybody wants to? I want that to happen so bad. So if anybody wants to uh, help fund our Kickstarter, which we haven't made it yet to support us to shoot a real rock documentary about uh, kids, then yeah, just hit us up. We're available, um, you know, and we'll make that happen. <laughs> right. All right. Let's, uh, yeah, I love I know, that right? idea. I love that idea. Let's, let's switch gears. Uh, switch yeah, I want to switch, switch gears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about your sure. outdoor climbing because I am. Yeah. Cause so, you know, boo boo, you are a beast. I mean, or you're just, or you post glamour shots every time. Cause I'm like looking at your Instagram. Uh, when I was looking at your Instagram, I was like, one man looks strong as almighty nails. And then two, it looks like you get to spend quite a bit of time and I primarily see you bouldering. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we kind of talked about a little bit of the area that's around and you and I have talked about a little bit of the yeah. development, but what is the outdoor okay. scene there? You know, kind of like, is it, you know, filled with trad daddies? Is it kind of like eclectic? I mean, I don't know anything about the Midwest. I just thought you guys. Oh no, man, we got we got the secret gems up here. Okay, so Wisconsin is uh, it's it's one of the it's uh, I call it the Midwest Coast because we're surrounded by Lake Superior on the top, Lake Michigan on the side, and the Mississippi River on the on the other side of our state. And oh, you're the best side of the yeah, 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 yeah. And we uh. We have a lot of different rock in this state, but our main crag is Devil's Lake and Devil's Lake is old school. Um, You know, like John, like John Gill was putting up boulders here in 1904. Um, So that's that's so rude of me. That dude is still alive and like still doing front lovers and shit, which is crazy. Um, So the lake right now, hold on, let me get it up really quick. Can you still hear me right now? Okay, good. It's like... uh, I just uh, typed into my computer. So I'm, I'm trying to get up the amount of boulders that are a mountain project right now. But I think the last time I checked, it was like 2000 boulders were at Devil's Lake. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Christ. And you got to keep in mind that some of those are contrivances and some of them are, you know, maybe not worth doing. But there's a lot of lines in our state. So let me see. Baraboo Range, Devil's Lake. 
Okay, so okay, so Devil's Lake Bouldering has I'm sorry, one thousand three hundred and fifty two on Mountain Project right now, and then we have probably something close to that in terms of ropes too, and all and everything at the lake is either trad, or it is uh, or it's top rope, and top rope at Devil's Lake is considered honorable, which is a little bit weird for most places, um, and. The- why is it considered honorable honorable and can you actually define like can you uh can you elaborate on that like kind of unpack honorable because i've never actually heard that term before and referred to climbing in general or so um i think that so it goes back to kind of the old school days so we are a not allowed to bolt at devil's lake um it's against the law to do that and also it would be super super hard to do it because of how dense the rock is um like baraboo quartzite is a non-porous rock so it's this like bulletproof um i've only seen one piece of rock ever fall off in my time climbing at the lake you know everything is like either ground up or it's top rope and the trad there is really kind of like scary to do and it's an amazing training ground because you get out of your head this is coming from somebody who like does not do trad because learning at the lake terrifies me um like gear falls out a lot because it is like it literally is glass so if it gets like a little bit humid one day Mm. everything becomes super slippery um climbing in the summertime is like kind of heinous here um because any bit of moisture you like feel it immediately start to like bead on the rock uh so because we don't have sport climbing the other option to do is top rope and our our grades here are really old school so uh it was first developed with like the f system so everybody knows like the yosemite system which is five point whatever and then we have the vermin system which is like the v's but uh we had the f scale and i don't know the history i'm not going to pretend like i do but it was like f1 through f4 and there was something that was like f4 would be the hardest which is the equivalent to 510 i'm sure i'm getting that wrong um but that was back in the day so then i think over the time when the conversion happened into the yosemite system everything started getting like a little bit uh skewed uh and then there was this crew that came along there's a documentary about them called the dlfa and the dlfa was the devil's lake fuckness association and uh those that crew put up some of the hardest routes like in the country at the time like one of the first i think one of the first 513s in the country was at devil's lake um and it is like old school hard like it's full crimps on razor blades um you're kind of scared because you know that your pieces might blow so a lot of time and also sometimes there's just like no cracks to place anything in um so that is kind of the rope scene at the lake um there's been many accidents some of them have been fatal at the lake um especially in recent years then the bouldering scene is pretty damn cool um i love it (laughs) um it is like uh things are either very short or very tall it feels like there's like no in between half of the time um and you know there's the hardest thing of the lake is v13 
And then it's kind of like a land of glorious moderates everywhere. And there's like a lot of V7 through V8. And then you start to see a little bit of a fade off after that. Um, but everything is considered pretty sandbagged here. Uh, yeah. Does that answer anything? <laughs> no, I mean, that gives me a lot. It actually kind of really, it makes, so I have a question. Do you, what, do you know what years those things were being bolted and established, especially when the DLSA uh, came in? Yeah, hold on like, just fall apart. Because fall apart. if you go on Mountain Project, are, are you guys big on Mountain Project down there? We are. I mean, everyone is until something better comes along, right. which hopefully that's soon. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so 1981 is like some of the first stuff that I can find right now. Okay, that's earlier than I thought. But, uh, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it makes sense because like the Wichita's here. So there's like a big segment of the Wichita's, in my opinion, that is like pretty moderate and pretty chill. Like you have this area called the Narrows, which it's, I think most of the stuff there is pretty casual and pretty chill. But then when you get into this zone called Sharon's Garden, where you have like Lost Dome, Echo Dome, Moby Dick, uh, you have Hidden Wall, you have Pear and Apple. That shit yeah. gets desperate real fast. And it's like lots and lots and lots of run out because it's slab. And then my hands down favorite place to rock climb is uh, Quartz Mountain, just because we call it like the Yosemite cool. of the South here. Uh, I did a route. I can't remember the name of it. It's like Jupiter or something else, like 11C. Like, I want to say it's 180, just, just, just over or under 200 feet. And like the first 50, 60 feet of it, you got like three placements, but it's solid climbing. Uh, as long as it is 60 right, degrees and below. Right. Uh, but but that's kind of how it is. And it's really interesting to me that like that ethic is kind of like across the board in these zones that are probably getting more popularity because everyone thinks of like Waco, the Red, the New, um, you know, lots of Vegas, Yosemite, obviously. Um, but it makes a lot of sense for me, especially when you talk about your climbing and how you like to approach it because... I mean, you're pretty hard man about your climbing. Like we've talked before yeah. outside of this and you're, in my opinion, you're pretty hard ass about it. And the area you're molded by the areas that you travel to, you are molded by those things. And I honestly believe the crags that you go to put in, they mold your personality and your, your approach towards climbing and your personality of how you decide to become a climber. You know, I mean, if you're just a hard trad daddy, you know, and that's like you've only plug gear and you only that is because it's accessible. That's kind of how you are. And the nice thing about your zone is from what I'm listening, hearing is you really have a chance to be diversified uh, pretty well. Minus like your, your trad climbing sounds like super uh, you, appetizing to me. Like you're you would like, love this it, man. scary. This is glass. Oh, I'm <laughs> like getting a heart on for it. I'm like ready. I'm <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, let's just do this. Like, I'm, I'm psyched on this. I mean, don't worry, wrong. Papa's going to put some stuff up on top rope, yeah, get yeah, his yeah. feet wet a little bit. But then after that, you know, all bets are off. Like, we just, let, you know, bring the pain. Uh, and that's like, just my style. Because I, I think, I too, know. like, um, I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough. I, uh, the last Cragen Classic that happened, which was like two years ago now, um, I got to MC and host it and I moderated a panel and two of the guys from the DLFA were on it. And it was funny because like our crew and their crew afterwards, like all the old school DLFA people ended up coming and they were hanging out with our friends. And I think one of the reasons that we get along with them so well is because those ethics have somehow trickled down into us. And I still hang out with a lot of my mentors and, um, people yeah. shout out Billy Denzer. Uh, 
Billy would like when I first started climbing, it was like if I did something well, it was very much met with uh, praise, but also like, OK, now you can do it better, you know, um, and climbing has lost mentorship a lot, mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. like a lot along the way. Um, but at the lake, you almost need mentorship in order to figure it out properly, because a lot of things are really hard to find and it's scary climbing. Um and that's where it's like you can't really cheat the system there because accidents can happen uh, quite easily. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And I actually, uh, we're going to flip gears in a minute, but I want to back up. Uh, you know, when you talk about mentorship, my one of my mentors, Mark Powell here, he's like in his 70s and still like on-site trad. Uh, I think he like still on-site 10D trad and on-site like Jeez. 11A, 11B sport right off the couch, which to me, I'm just like, oh, like, how are you doing this? And granted, he like eats raw peppers out of his garden. He's like, all right, I'm ready to rock climb. Uh-huh. Right. And have this marble, this hot pepper. All right. All right. <laughs> hold my cigarette. And he's like, splashes the thing, comes down. And I'm like still holding it. And he's like, all right, give me that thing. And I'm like, right, what right, right, happened? Right. You know? And I'm like so confused. But um, I, it really excites me that you actually brought up that point of like mentorship and stewardship. Because I've talked to a couple people about this. And I think uh, Nina Williams and I brought this up in a previous episode um where we were talking about like kind of how it's it's kind of a thing it's not a thing and i think after her episode after the episode with her and i i realized it's it's, it's kind of evolving i think and i don't think i've been able to notice this now until starting talking to everyone but i believe mentorship is evolving into this kind of like third state of a kind of like life coaching slash being more of a coach to someone, whether that is a traditional training coach, additional traditional climbing coach, or just a life coach, because you know, your traditional mentorship, you're right. Unless it's a place like devil's Lake where like, it is just hard to get around. It is hard to know where things are. It is not like as well established as it is. It's just the nature of the area. You don't like most people are just going to go, all right, I'm going to go on mountain project. Cool. GPS. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. I'm here. Throw my crash pad down break out my JBL speaker and start blasting music at a crowd crag, which I, it's the worst. Everybody stop doing that. Nobody wants to hear your SoundCloud rap. Please stop. Let's just stop it. (laughs) Everybody stop. No, no. Oh my God. Can we just like, can we just unplug SoundCloud altogether? And this podcast is not on SoundCloud and SoundCloud. If you want it to be on SoundCloud, maybe. Yeah. You can definitely buy it. Definitely. Uh, But yeah, like, and and just full disclosure, the reason why I hate music at a crag is I'm hearing impaired. I wear hearing aids. So uh, it is hard for me to hear anyway. And I'm one of those big people. I have to like read body language and gestures from a distance. And when people are playing music, like I've literally had someone playing playing music loud at a crag and my buddy went over, turned off the speaker. He's like, Mario, you're climbing into a hornet's nest. And I'm like in right, the zone, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you're just like gone. Yeah, and, I, and I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden I hear this buzzing sound and this buzzing sound getting like higher pitched, meaning it's getting more pissed off. And I was just like, oh shit. And they just move crash pads down and I drop, but I couldn't hear it. And was the music really that loud? No, but like being, being hearing impaired is like, a, it's, an, it's that invisible disorder. It's that invisible disability that no one sees. It's like being blind right away or partially blind. Like if you don't know, it's, invi- it's an invisible disease and it's an, invi- it's just, you can't see it. And because of that, people just immediately assume. And, you know, like I said, people do what you want, but if I'm around at a crag, expect me to walk up to you and ask you to very kindly turn it off. 
I'll just this leave. Why I'm just against go music. And badly Th- this, kind of- this is why I'm against music. I, I think that's a very valid point. But for for the general public who like isn't hearing impaired, it makes us hearing impaired. We're like we like communication at the crag, especially when you are getting on something that might not feel the most comfortable to you. Like it is selfish for other people to play music because it's for them or whatever it might be. Um, Like we we are doing a sport and we are living a lifestyle that is dangerous and um is not just about you like climbing might be a quote-unquote individual sport but there are dozens of other people around you that might be at the same crag that could be on the same climb it could be your climbing partner it could be the group next to you and you don't know their situation and you don't know what they need when they are when, when they are climbing if if you need music put in your airpods yeah bro but like Everybody else, yeah. you know, I I broke yeah. my ankle from like four feet up a couple of years ago, and it took me years until like quite recently to get comfortable topping out boulders. Um, but if I was at a crag and I was trying to top out a boulder and music was playing and I'm like already kind of like getting like all of this like overstimulus happening and. Um, there are people that are spotting you are my pads where they're supposed to be. I'm already in my head. And all of a sudden your shitty SoundCloud rap is playing super loud. You are adding fuel to the fire of me, not just sending, but possibly getting hurt again because I am freaked out about what's going on. Uh, but there's this personality type in climbing and you know who I'm like the people that I'm talking about. And there might be people that are like this that are listening where it's like, Oh, come on, man. It's climbing. Like, get hyped like get psyched like the music's there for us and it's like no the music's there for you dude like it's not there for me that is your choice to be doing that yeah no i 100 agree with you on that and you know I, this is kind of one of those weird things and it's like once again like you and i are really kind of raveling on a topic that nina and i talked about you know and she had talked about people coming up to the crag and her and her group had to really have a long discussion about like do they want them there? And people, then she said, I don't want you guys climbing with me. And people accused her of gatekeeping. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, she realized that like, she just has to move, right. She has to go to another place and just get out of that situation. And I totally agree with you. I think that, yeah, it is, you can get hyped, you can do this, but like, you're right. Like you don't need this. Or if this is something you really need to, this is kind of like private meditation or private mm-hmm. practice, you know, and us being coaches, it's like, I teach my kids, like, you got to learn how to psych yourself up. And I quote this book all the time with winning in mind. And you learn how to have your triggers, your flips, your switches that you turn it on. And if it, you know, if your thing is like blaring loud music, it blaring loud music in your head and to do that, then that's fine. But I agree with you, put your AirPods on or do something like that, or kindly just yeah. add the community around you. If worse comes to worse, just kindly ask community around you. Be like, hey, I'd really like to like do this route. I want to play a song while I'm doing it. Uh, you guys don't have to wait or anything like that. But like, would you mind? And a couple of my friends do that and they do it. And I still hate it, but at least they're polite about it. But nine times out of 10, I if someone asks me that, I'll probably wait and watch them climb their route just to get it done to cheer them on. Because right. that's the kind of community we are. And then I'll ask them to turn it off afterwards, especially if I'm staying at this crag. Or I'll just pack up and leave. 
but that's nine times out of 10 why I like to climb like butt crack early in the morning, like Alpine stars yeah, and God. everyone hates me for this because <laughs> I have the whole crack to myself. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I know. It's like, I'm all about I Alpine starts. I used to be, dude. I used to be into Alpine starts. And then all of a sudden I climbed at noon one day and I was like, oh, okay. This is what I'm going to be forever. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree with you, man. I definitely like climbing later in the day. I also, the reason why I like an alpine start is I like being able to take a nap oh, at noon sure. and then come back to my project. That's like my nap beta. This dude. is the last nap thing that I will say about music, and it's a coaching story. And I think that you'll love this. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm sitting at home okay. this past summer, and it's a super hot day. And uh, I'm sitting on my porch, and all of a sudden I get a phone call from uh, from my friend and my my mentor Billy, and he said, "Hey, dude, how are you?" And I said, "I'm good. I'm just at home." And he said, "Um, hey, are any of your kids at the lake right now?" And I said, "Uh, maybe." And he goes, "I think I saw one of them." And he walked on top of some other people's pads and they were playing music and just jumped on the boulder. And I said, give me a minute. And I called exactly who I knew that it was. And Ben, who's now graduated, he answered the phone. And he was like, what's up, man? And I said, do you just walk on people's pads? And he said, how did you know? <laughs> I went, I have eyes everywhere. Turn off your music and stop doing that. <laughs> and I'll- all of a sudden, my kids were like, oh, that's awesome. he has eyes. He knows when we're doing something wrong. <laughs> oh, that's definitely. It's funny. I have not had that experience with my kids, but uh, anybody I coach or teach a clinic to through my guiding company or in the gym, I always tell people, I'm like, I take personal ownership over your phone, uh, over you. Like, I take personal ownership over your climbing. So if you ever need anything, and I was, uh, I forget where I was. No, I was, I was out at this place called uh, near Mineral Wells where we're climbing here in Dallas. Uh, and I got a phone call from my buddy that lives in Las Vegas. And he was like, Hey man, I just saw some Texas license plates. Do you know some people here that are out climbing? And I was like, yeah, I know some people out here. And he kind of get into, get into the ethics with me about like what they were doing. They were talking about coming back tomorrow. And he was trying to explain to them, like, you don't climb right, the next right, day right. when it rains in Vegas. And it was good. It led lightly rained at the end of the day. But they're like, no, it'll be cool. It'll be dry. And within 15 minutes, I sent, which I knew it was like one of seven people. So I just did like a group text. So I was like, I don't know who this is, but here's a long reason <laughs> yeah. why you don't climb. And two people responded back to me. They're like, I'm in Las Vegas. How do you know where I I'm am? And I was like, boo boo, I got eyes everywhere. Yep. I was like, the only person who sees as much as me is Jesus. <laughs> so I love that. Oh, man. So uh, I'd like to bump into the topic of like kind of stewardship sure. and mentorship here. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to stay too long here cause we've actually kind of talked about it a little bit, but um, what are your thoughts on it and like where it's grow going to? Cause I mentioned, you know, I think it's either, you know, it's either turning into like life coaching, you have a mentor mentor or you have a, or your stewardship. And actually a really good question I'd like to actually, what is your, what do you believe the difference is between mentorship and stewardship personally for you? Like, like the delivery mechanism of that. Um, Okay. So mentorship, I guess I just go back to like what, uh, or how, how I was and have been raised as a climber, which was that, you know, my, 
I, I had a really good group of mentors. I had, uh, I had, uh, you know, Kevin Romansky, Billy Denzer, Matt McCarthy, uh, Kenny. I had these guys that, uh, you know, all of the Nimmers. I had these people that were like been climbing way longer than me and, uh, happened to have the same climbing schedule as me and my partner at the time when we were first starting out and they kind of took it upon themselves because keep in mind this is like pre-instagram this is like pre-mellow videos this is pre you know uh you know not tying videos but we had these people that recognize something in us and went out of their way to make sure that we were climbing the best that we could um and on top of that instill the ideas of climbing honorably like building your pyramid um understanding movement all that type of stuff and they really went out of their way and you know they they get this from me all the time because i'm still like i appreciate you guys so much for doing that um so I think that to me is very much what a mentorship is. It's the person that's there to like show you the ropes. And it's somebody that could even be around the same age as you. You know, those guys aren't too much older than me. Oh, um, I agree. I don't, I don't think age is a factor no, in mentorship. Uh, at all. And it's just somebody that to me is putting the time in to make sure that you are becoming the best version of the climber that you could be. You know what I mean? It's somebody that like yeah. genuinely cares about you for whatever reason, puts the time in, answers the questions, you know, calls you out when you're maybe not being the best version of you. Um, they're still, you know, like so my my mentors and I are still in the same climbing crew as each other. And we were we were all at the Craig recently. Not recently. My God, this is a couple months ago. There's snow here now. Um, but we were talking about you know, kind of our relationships with each other in this crew that we have, because, you know, Mary and I, who's my boss are in the same crew. So when her and I go out, we're both coaches and it's just, if it's just her and I, the Craig, we will very much slip into coaching roles, like with each other. There are people like my friend Kyle that like, we are climbing partners and we're like super fun. Um, but, you know, we're there just like to climb with each other. Uh, and then there's, you know, people like uh, Billy, for example, when we go out climbing, I am very much looking to him to help guide me through things. You know, I, I had a long standing project um, and I was I got very hungover and I went there in the morning and I was so hungover that I was like throwing up in front of another <laughs> boulder, just the, like just miserable. Like, there's no reason why I shouldn't even like walk to the boulder to begin with and halfway through the day all of a sudden he like shows up randomly at this boulder and he's like i'm here to work this with you man like let's get you to send it and all of a sudden it was just like everything in my body was like okay dude like he put the time and effort in to do this it's time to fucking like turn up even though you don't feel like you can um and that's the relationship that kind of exists there Stewardship to me is very much community based where it is, um, you know, I think things like the Wisconsin Climbers Association, the Access Fund, uh, you know, just uh, organizations like that, putting the time and effort into 
giving back to the community at large because we are using public space to climb outdoors. We need to make sure that climbers have the best face possible in Wisconsin. You know, however many years ago, yeah, uh, climbing was taken away at a crag a little bit further north from us up at Rib Mountain because people threw a kegger there one day when it like first opened and the park was like, OK, well, then you guys are done. And it was done forever. And somebody put the time and effort into getting it reopened to us on a smaller scale. And now it's up to us to prove to the Wisconsin DNR that we can help maintain these spaces in a responsible way, because I think that people are still caught up in the idea that climbing is this alternative lifestyle and it's punk rock, which it can be. But at the same time, like if you want it to exist, you got to put your big boy and big girl pants on big, they, them pants on and do your part in making sure the Craigs are clean, making sure that if something is too chalked, that that chalk gets washed off, like not throwing a kegger at it. Noise pollution is a huge thing. Not being an asshole to people that are just on day hikes, whatever it might be. That to me is stewardship. Yeah. I like, I agree with you so much. And it's funny. I, uh, I definitely know here in the Wichita's and in Arkansas and all the surrounding areas, because for all my, all my DFW people, you know exactly what I'm about to say. If you live in Dallas and you are not willing to drive minimum four hours, maximum about nine to 10 hours, then you're just not going to rock climb, period. Mm-hmm. Like, like That's just kind of how it goes. Uh, but like you'll find climbers all the time, like day hikers will be out and people will be like, Oh, you know, we'll, we'll just walk up to people like, are you guys trying to find something? Or like, yeah. And we, people are like, are you guys tour guides that work here? We're like, no, we're just like, we just want to make sure you guys have a good time. And you, you just have to be that person that goes above and beyond because if you love something that much, you have to protect it in stewardship. And I guess well, this is what I want to say. If you love something that much, you have to take a massive amount of extreme ownership over it. Oh, 100%. Even when it's not necessary. And you just have to be that person. You know, uh, you just, it, it has to be absurd. And I know my friends sometimes will look at me like, you just become buddies with people in the parking lot. And they're not even a rock climb, but you'll like tell them where to go, all the scenic places. Oh, dude, I'm the exact the same photo. way. Yeah. Do you want it to romantic? Yeah. Also, by the way, I think we are like kindred spirits. I think we are like, I you know, soldiers so in another this lifetime together. Because <laughs> a, uh, well, your story about throwing up and doing this. So years ago, uh, in my younger days, I thought it would be so cool to bring a bottle of Jack Daniels and go on my, one of my second and third bouldering trips and just be that guy drinking. At the end of the day, taking a shot of whiskey. Yeah, being it never raspy, is, man. It's never cool. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's never that. Never that. It was terrible. So I was in uh, Fountain Red riding cow. And I remember everyone was like, you wanted to do this? I don't even remember the name of the boulder at that point in time. But everyone's like, you really wanted to do this boulder? We were staying an extra day, blah, blah, blah. I'm like so fucking hungover in my tent. I am like completely, utterly hungover. And I just remember getting up. And my buddy was like, are you going to do this thing or not? I threw up in my tent. Well, I'm sorry. I threw up right outside of my tent. I almost, there was a little bit of, oh yeah, yeah, tent, yeah. Like, you know, like a little pre-vomit. It was all in the tent. And then I threw up right outside of it. I got up, walked over there, put my shoes on, didn't even take my jacket off, didn't even change or anything. Still had sunglasses on, sent the boulder first go, got down, 
threw up right outside of my tent again and then went back to sleep. <laughs> and I think that was like my first V5. I, uh, yeah. And I was, that was my experience. So when you said that, I was like, oh my God. I am oh currently working God. through like what level of sobriety oh. I am um, wanting to kind of, I don't want to say exist at, but uh, exist at because in, in Wisconsin, we have a massive drinking culture. It's like, it's kind of the backbone to everything here. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I, I can't <laughs> help drink can, you guys. Yeah. Like, I've tried. I've hung out yeah. with some Midwesterns. I've hung out with you Midwesterners and it's I'm just like, what is going we on keep here? Everything inside. And I, so uh, there's only one way out of that. But so uh, as somebody I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get <laughs> strong, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to be a big strong boy. And uh, I just realized that like drinking doesn't go hand in hand with that right now. And I'm like trying to, uh, you know, I, I had a gambling problem for a while and that's why I ended up becoming a climber actually is because when I like first turned 21, I was like, I got really into blackjack um, and I found climbing and it like replaced the adrenaline rush that I would get. Um, and I've, you know, next month it'll be six years without gambling. And I, I float the idea. I don't drink a ton nowadays, um, mainly because I'm getting older and my body can't handle that anymore. But I, you know, I grew up working in a comedy club and I learned to drink there and that's a really toxic place to like learn how to drink because uh, comedians have a, a, a history with that. And, um, you know, I've gone the last week without drinking and I'm like, wow, I can do so many things. Not, not even that, like I would get blackout drunk every night, but just like even two beers affects your body so much. And when you reach a specific point in climbing, you really have to like start making sacrifices of what you will put into your body or you know extracurriculars that you want to do outside of it depending on what your focuses are um i don't have much behind that thought but that's just something that uh, i just started working with this past week okay this is like a really far-fetched correlation and i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna admit i'm fishing here so uh well, I'm actually more like fly fishing with this one because so, it's like pretty far. But um, it's interesting that you say that because there is a article that came out from the University of Las Vegas, maybe like, I want to say 10, 15 years ago. And it talks about the near miss effect. And that's where people who gamble, basically what they, basically what's happening is when they see a slot machine and it goes like cherry, cherry, cherry bar or whatever it is out there, um, they think that they were so close. And in yeah, all reality, yeah. it's not. That's not the way it is. But the near miss effect thing is a thing in rock climbing because all of us, everyone listening to this podcast, you will immediately relate to what I'm about to say. All of us have gotten on a boulder or a route and slightly fallen off a move, but then you're like, I got it. Like you just you figured it out. You're like, okay, I got it. I got it. You slap your hands, you get super excited. Your energy goes up. And I have found that I've met quite a few people especially with this, like just in the area of gambling that they are just fucking stellar climbers and they pick up on breaking down beta and breaking these things down so fast because when that near mess effect happens, it creates, I believe it creates like these normal endorphins that would make you want to gamble. These things that make you happy, they yeah. make you happy in climbing. Cause you're like, I just discovered it. I just found the key. I just found the thing. And it's just, it's funny that you say that because I, I, I've 
few friends that have admitted this to me before. And I, it's just, it's a weird correlation because I watch them rock climb and when they come down and they just fall and they're like petrified mm-hmm. right, in a moment, like frozen, they're, yeah, they're just petrified in a moment where like they figured it out. They get up, they are beyond excited, like more so than anybody else, more so than me. And I'm just like, what's going on here? And over the years, I've just kind of noticed that. And I just, yeah, I, I, yeah I, it's, it's interesting. That it you is. That. So I, don't I, know if I, I think that it's mainly just like toxic behavior uh, or like, toxic wants create toxic behavior, but being able to find like a, like a positive want, you know, uh, the idea of sending creates positive behavior surrounding it. Right. So when, when you're projecting something super hard, um, it's easy to get angry. And I of course get so pissed off all the time when I climb, but there's a joy that goes into it. Whereas it's, it's it's a similar feeling when you you know when you're playing blackjack and you all of a sudden you like bust right you like you just hit one too many times you bust you messed up your hand Mm -hmm. and uh it it creates almost the same feeling but in a negative way because you can't go back you can't fix it but in climbing like you can go back you can fix it and that's why i'm such a projector like i quite often will subconsciously it's more it's more times consciously below my flash go um because i like projecting so much or i like trying something more than once um i yeah it's so funny i i love to on-site i love to on-site like that's like my world and i don't mind blowing my on-site but i'm definitely that person who will shake out for like 15 minutes on a hold sure just so i can sure. make sure i can still get my on-site <laughs> Cause you're a tra- it's because you're on trad, dude. I'd be scared shitless if I was doing that. Oh, dude, trad rope. I mean, it, I, I don't do that on bouldering unless it's a knee bar. Then I'm going to be yeah, there yeah, for like yeah. 10, 20 minutes, you know, you know or an ass bar. But dude, that's freaking awesome. Well, man, I, we, have been, we have been going at this for quite a while. And I kind of like to bring this thing up to a close here. But I really don't want to bring it up to a close because... Oh yeah, like I want to have you as a regular person on the show, and I am like super excited to talk to you. And I'm honestly like really, really inspired by you because you know it's it is nice to hear from someone else that does not look like me, that does not have the same orientations as me or anything, but yet our lives have seemed like they have intertwined on their own in their own way so many like we have so many similar intersecting points in our lives so i'm in like my year i think i want to say around year 12 of coaching and i know dude i'm i I tell the kids and everybody i'm a stegosaurus t-rex and man are you like i was dead i am team summit i strictly work with the team summit uh and that's kind of a whole nother reason why uh a whole nother thing too because i i well i can kind of get into this but um, I strictly work with Team Summit for two reasons. One, I think it's fundamentally important. Like you go through about five to six coaches mm-hmm. in your entire life as a professional athlete. And in my opinion, coach number one and coach number three are probably the most important coaches that you have. Because coach number one kind of introduces yeah. you to it and just lets you know that it's available to you. Coach number three or four, realistically, those are the people that infuse a love, a joy, or just are really real with you and let you know that like, you can be good at this. 
you can love this sport. This might not be the sport for you, but most importantly, those are the people who really try to like make you into a better human being right. while being in the sport. And I have just always gravitated towards that aspect of my, of coaching. Like I, like my kids are my family, my kids are my friends and I am now going to weddings, graduations. I've some of my, some of the older kids I know are ha- having kids and some of the kids that I have worked with now work, have worked Yeah, man, me, isn't that a cool feeling? Isn't that like one of the things. best feelings in the world? And I think it is. It is. My buddy Trent is just like killing it in Wyoming right now. And he just lives out there and he's crushing it and he's becoming a nurse. And I'm just like so, 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 so proud of him. And I think the big thing that is, I think like everybody wants to coach the world-class athletes. Everybody wants to be known for coaching those kids that get there. Yep. But we need to get the kids to that point because they have to make the decision that they want to be that. Like, and I think as coaches, you know, you're chasing glory, but mm-hmm. I don't want to be that coach that coaches chases glory. I want to be that coach that inspires the kid for them to make oh, the decision that they can actually chase glory. And, and I think that's more important. And I don't know, I like, like I, I, we have a big coaching staff and, you know, everyone is so different and everyone's backgrounds are, everyone's so different and everyone's backgrounds are so different. But um, the big thing that I run into is I think a lot of people really just want to coach the good kids. And I just want the kids to love the sport more than I do because Oh, 100%. They're the only ones that can save this sport. Yeah. Before we wrap, can I talk about the Queer Climbing Collective really quick? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yes, yes. (laughs) Dive in. This is your show as much as mine Um, right now. Okay, so the QCC, the Queer queer Climbing Collective, I have been wanting to start like a meetup or like a group in Milwaukee for quite a while now. And there are a couple... Um, there are a couple like LGBT organizations that work within climbing, but honestly, the QCC got me because of their marketing. Like the images are so nice. Um, and one of the biggest things is that they were using the, the new pride flag opposed to the old pride flag of what they were doing. Do you, do you know the difference at all? The original one is just like the Roy G Biv, right? Like the traditional rainbow. And then a couple of years ago, uh, some people started adding mm-hmm. like a black and a brown stripe to it because people of color have been so um, like intricate in the identity of uh, queer people. Um, like mo- like most things in the world, uh, like slang and terminology and uh, like imagery and uh, like iconic media stuff really came from like uh, like like black and brown queer people. And then the newest addition of the pride flag is giving like trans people their own spot, like on the flag itself. So the QCC has been um, using kind of like the modern rainbow. And I was like, Oh, I love that. And all the stuff they're like super politically active. They are, they are like so positive and well-spoken on their social media. So I hit them up and they were like, we absolutely like would love to start a branch there. Um, So we started a Milwaukee chapter of the queer climbing collective and we meet every second Sunday. And we originally put like 20 spots because right now with like, like any gym in the country, you have to have a reservation order to go into. So we set aside 20 spots for reservations and it's sold out Mm -hmm. like pretty much immediately. Um, and then it sold out like 
a month ahead of time. And now we're in our third month and that sold out like almost two months ahead of time. And then we added 10 more spots and like that sold out and it's just going like super well. And as somebody that thought that they were one of the only queer people in the gym to all of a sudden be surrounded by this community of people that like identify the same as me and create this positive space. It is um, such an incredible community to be a part of. Um, so if anybody out there is looking to start like an LGBT meetup for their gym, I highly suggest going on Instagram and uh, following Queer Climbing Collective because uh, they have been such a good like overarching organization to work with. And uh, if anybody has any questions, they can always ask me about it too. Uh, I just pulled it up on Instagram. And I'm not going to lie, this cutoff tank yeah, dude, isn't fire, it dope? and I'm so ordering good. it like, literally right now as we're talking. This is mine. <laughs> oh, this is mine. This is definitely mine. Like, take my money. Um, yeah, Slap they just the do and take my money. an incredible job. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Jacob warmed my soul, and I am just so happy to have him in my life. I feel blessed, and I hope you were blessed by this conversation. Remember, join the Sticker Club. Be a part of our family. Let us write you some love letters and happy sending to you guys out there. And remember, if you're not suffering, you're not sending at all.